welcome to the Purple Talk podcast on NBC Sports California. We are back. Uh, at least one of us is back for right now. Uh, Doug Christie will be joining us next week. Uh, we wanted to make sure he had a little bit of a break because all of a sudden he's calling games. Uh, we've got basketball. And instead of Doug, we've brought in Tom Haverstrow, our NBC Sports uh, head NBA writer. Tom, what's going on, man? It's going well. Um, watching scrimmages, getting my feet back uh, in the swing of things, feeling pretty good about how the bubble is working so far. And um, the only thing I can complain about, James, is that uh, we've had some lightning storms here in Charlotte where I'm based, and my AC went out. Um, so it's <laughs> 95, <laughs> feels like 120. Uh, and so that's why I've got the ceiling fan going. So if you get a little bit of hum in the background, my apologies, blame Mother Earth. Mother Earth is is fully at fault. Um, okay, so Tom, um, you're clear on the other side of the country, but you are not in the Orlando, Orlando bubble. I am not in the Orlando bubble. Um, but, I mean, this is exciting. NBA is back. Uh, so far, so good. Um, Sacramento Kings have had their issues here so far. So we'll talk Kings. Um, but before we get to that, people should know this. Um, Tom and I come from, I guess I'll call it the same – NBA uh, sports writing Petri dish. Uh, we, we both, uh, I don't know, it's been what, nine years probably that we've known each other, uh, met at the Sloan Analytics Conference as members of the True Hoop Network uh, many years ago. Tom and I would sit at the adult table uh, with guys like Larry Kuhn and Kevin Arnovitz and of course Henry Abbott. Um, and they're, you know, so there's a huge sprawling a world of true hoopers that are still part of the sports uh, landscape. And, and Tom, just how has your journey been to get to this point? Because uh, I know, you know, for me, it, it, there's ups and downs and, and we're on and up right now, although it's in a really strange time for the world. Yeah, it's always a roller coaster. And, um, you know, when I started out doing this thing, I was a baseball guy at ESPN doing stats for, for ESPN. I, my first article I ever wrote was for ESPN, the magazine were published. In, it was ESPN, the magazine, a story about momentum in baseball being a total myth going into the playoffs. Um, and then kind of moved into stats for basketball because it was like John Hollinger and Kevin Pelton. Um, and then that was just about it in terms of like advanced numbers for the NBA. And as you remember, you know, Henry and Kevin back at uh, True Hoop, the True Hoop days, it was um, just trying to make my way into this thing. And one of my favorite stories or favorite angles to cover in the NBA is just like, you know, the science, the health, player health, uh, which became a huge topic. And I rode that wave um, talking about the season and injuries, um, talking about, equipment that players or technology the players are using and I just um, I'm just been fortunate enough to ride that wave to to this position here where every team is dealing with the player health issue science is becoming the biggest issue in the NBA is um, you know you see the Sacramento Kings dealing with several players being out due to injury or sickness with COVID and you know players and staffers are having to wear these aura rings these rings on their fingers that uh, and sensors that beep when, you, when you're within six feet of each other. And it's kind of like my wheelhouse is talking about some of these issues. Um, and so in many ways, the COVID-19 shutdown, the pandemic shutdown is kind of um, been uh, really fun for me in terms of the interest of 
the scientific evidence and the, the issues at stake. Um, and one of the stories I worked on a couple of weeks ago is one of the people, one of the entities that are really upset right now is gambling, is the gambling industry is because a lot of players are not allowed, or at least teams are not allowed to specify which players tested positive for coronavirus. Of course, of course. And we dealt with that with is, Harrison Barnes for a long time. Isn't that, wasn't that awkward? It's horribly awkward. It's horribly awkward still. You, you try to get updates and they, they hide behind it. I mean, the Kings are notoriously secretive, so putting them in a bubble away from everybody um, actually is played to their advantage um, because they can, you know, basically put their head in the sand and, and do what they, they do um, until, you know, unfortunately Marvin Bagley shows up to practice the same day that the media is allowed in in a walking boot and on crunches, and so they have to come out with press release. But, again, like, go ahead. Like, this is a weird situation for all of us. Super weird. And, and the gambling industry, Vegas, the sports books there rely on transparency. They yeah. rely on information flowing from the NBA um, where there isn't a veil of secrecy and everyone's on the same page or else you're opening yourself up to what one insider called inside, um, insider trading. You know, one, one industry source said insider trading is something they, they worry about is if a player on the, or if a staffer on the Kings, or if you want to say the Rockets or any team that is dealing with a positive test case on their team, that could have big ramifications on betting. You know, if, it, if, yeah. if you fade a team or if you basically short a team because their star player got uh, coronavirus and no one seems to know uh, publicly, um, that opens themselves up to some shady, um, you know, bets being placed in Vegas. And so, what they've done, James, to counteract this is Vegas is pulling every Rockets game off the board. You know, the Pelicans don't have Zion Williamson anymore. Um, he left to go deal with a family matter, and no one seems to know when he's going to come back. Vegas had to pull that off the board too. So the bubble itself, from a scientific standpoint, player health standpoint, creates you know a huge story is just how they're being able to pull this off. But also there's so many different ripple effects that in affect so many different industries, um, one of which is gambling, which is these sports books are having to deal with this uh, lack of transparency from the teams. And coaches, I can tell you, are not feeling great about this because they have to dance around this issue and come up with different excuses of why they can't talk about it out of respect for the player's privacy. But it is just this really awkward thing that we're doing where we know that someone's out, but we can't specify. And it's no, in many players' eyes or many execs' eyes, it shouldn't be any different than a guy pulling his hamstring or in Marvin Bagley's case. We knew pretty much right away that this was a serious injury and they publicized it without any issue. Um, but, you know, when you're dealing with coronavirus and the stigma attached to it, players are, are worried about that. They've agreed with the NBA that they will not, as of now, publicize uh, or identify which players are positive unless the player consents to it. And you saw Russell Westbrook do that for himself. And the and bookmakers are still confused. They don't yeah. know where to put the Rockets now. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting uh, sort of way that this whole thing's worked out. I mean, people don't know that, you know, I show up every single day to shoot around for Sacramento Kings, and I'm usually there by myself. Um, what I say on Twitter, well, yeah, what I say on Twitter can change the betting line up and down. I mean, yep. because I have information that other people don't, I put it out there, the betting line can change off of what I tweet. And it, it's sort of an interesting way, what, when you talk about insider trading, 
Uh, I mean, basically, if I didn't want to tell people that so-and-so wasn't in practice or that three players returned to practice, returned to shoot around and that all three are going to play, I'm the only one with that information. The Kings aren't going to put that information onto anyone else until pregame, you know, at five o'clock. Uh, it's something that, you know, basically we can control some of that stuff, which is, it's totally bizarre to have that conversation. When it comes to COVID, uh, you know, I, you wrote a really interesting piece about sort of the mechanisms in, in testing. And I, it, it's really, it's a difficult discussion, right? Because um, I had someone go off on me on Twitter, just one, which I was surprised there was only one person on social media. Um, but Alex Lynn tested positive 24 straight days. He told us that. Uh, and that means that for 24 straight days, Alex Lynn took a test and he's still taking tests and Harrison Barnes is still trying to clear protocol, which means he has to take, he has to have a, a negative test two days in a row. I mean, that means that again, he's taking 20 plus tests in, in a nation where, you know, take the politics out of it, just where we don't have enough tests and testing is taking forever for most people. Um, where do you stand on this? Because the NBA is kind of, uh, you know, they've purchased their way into a weird niche where they get to test their players all the time. We just saw they had, what, 346 players uh, from June 11th to June, uh, July 11th to July, whatever, uh, that, that tested negative and yeah. they haven't had a single case. But where are you with this? Uh, it, it's the capitalist in me says, you know, this is fine. This is fine. If you have the money, you've got the means to do it, then that's good. I mean, the NBA has a business to run and they need to have the, you know, sufficient number of testing to get that done. Um, so from that perspective, more power to them. But the other side is if I had a ill mother or an ill cousin or uncle or someone who I'm close with who is in Orlando and can't get test results because everything's backed up, which is what's happening in Orlando, I would not feel good about what the NBA is doing. Um, and from an ethical standpoint, from a morale standpoint, it's not, it's not great. It's not a good look. The optics are poor, let's face it. Um, when you have athletes who are getting test results turned around within 12 hours and people are seeing their test results in Orlando, uh, getting as, as many days as 12, 14 days before they get the results, that's, that's a huge public health issue. And the NBA has said um, that the, they are not jumping the line here. Um, they are not taking away tests away from the public. They've been told by biometrics, which is a bioreference, sorry, bioreference labs, which is fulfills, fulfilling mm -hmm. their, their uh, test results. Bioreference has told them that it is not taking away from the public efforts. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's another issue. Uh, so, the NBA is doing good. You know, James, we have to remember that a lot of these universities, labs are trying new vaccines or trying new testing samples that need bodies to test on to see if they work. That's one of the things that you do when you have a vaccine is tested on real human beings to see if it works. And the NBA has agreed with Yale University to do a test with their saliva direct spit in a tube uh, test that they're hoping Yale University is hoping that it's less expensive, uh, just as accurate, less um, needs less people to facilitate these tests. You don't, you just need the person to spit in a tube and then seal it up and send it off. You don't need uh, a hospital worker to to do the the actual test. Um, 
there, the NBA is partnering with Yale University to potentially get this uh, approved. And without the NBA, it might not get approved. So there, there are public health benefits that the NBA is doing here. Um, put aside the fact that they're planning to do community testing or donating tests to the public that makes this a lot so, a softer landing. The idea that they're going to be taking these tests away from the public, they're doing things to mitigate that those optics. So it's a really tricky issue. And I understand the NBA stance, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to ask those tough questions about it. And they have to face the music uh, when it comes to the, the, the pluses and minuses of having a daily testing regimen to protect their athletes and their staffers. Yeah, I, I mean, realistically, the NBA, um, they're doing everything right for themselves. And, and I, I can't blame them for that. I mean, in all honesty, um, what they're doing and, and the way that it's worked out where they haven't had a positive test in the bubble yet, um, I, I think it's, it's how sports is going to have to move forward. Um, I, the NFL is just botching this thing left and right. I think Major League Baseball botched this thing right from the beginning. You got teams showing up and going through a couple of days of workouts, and they're still waiting for their test results from day one. Um, so you could already have had players who you know, were positive and passing it to their teammates. I mean, this is a mess. And you know, I don't think anyone has, uh, has you know, wanted something like this to happen, but you have to figure it out. And I think the NBA has been the sort of the leader in the clubhouse and how to figure things out uh, when it comes to this pandemic. You know, they've erred on the side of caution. Uh, they probably could have come back two or three weeks earlier than they did, um, but they, they took the necessary steps. And it's really difficult to, you know, look at the general public and say, sorry. Um, but at the same time, they are doing what they can. They are donating tons of money uh, to these programs. They're, they're out in front of the saying as much as they can. And they are a huge, huge test subject. They're trying to show that this can be done. And maybe, you know, regular businesses won't be able to do this, um, but maybe they should be. You know, maybe we should have some sort of protocol. Yeah, you know, I... I think there's, there's that too, is that this is a trial balloon for businesses around the world is, okay, mm -hmm. if we're going to bring people back to the office, what sort of protocols need to be administered to protect the employees? Um, and the NBA has resources that other businesses don't have. Their partnership with Disney is a huge factor here. And it just so happened that this is in Orlando, Orange, Orange County, Florida is dealing with a huge outbreak of Corona uh, coronavirus. And I think when the NBA made the plans, they didn't foresee that happening. Of course, they couldn't predict the future of how this would um, spread around the country. But um, they've, they've make, made some really good progress in terms of making sure the players are sticking to it. The staffers are sticking to it. I will say, James, those press releases from the NBA do not include staffers. So I know that's uh, pretty interesting, isn't it? We don't know coaches. We don't know executives. We don't know um, NBA officials who are there, boots on the ground. Um, so we don't, we don't have that information. Um, but by and large, this system has, has gone about as well as they could have hoped. And the, the, real, the real test is going to come after the first round of the playoffs. By then, the Sacramento Kings, in all likelihood, won't be there, barring some sort of De'Aaron Fox um, just going nuclear on everybody in the, mm -hmm. in the uh, restart. But that's when families are allowed to come in. Uh, that's when friends are allowed to come in. And that is going to be a huge, um, a huge question mark for the league is just making sure that everyone 
is is safe coming into the bubble. Now, uh, you do have to give them a round of applause on getting to this point. Actual games happening in the NBA, uh, whether scrimmages or not, whether uh, player, all the players are there or not, it is a really significant thing that they've done to get everyone there and playing. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to, let's get to the Kings a little bit. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I mean, you've worked for the mothership as they like to call themselves. Um, why is it that uh, the Sacramento Kings have been so disrespected? <laughs> I mean, we saw yesterday the graphic on NBA TV where they literally listed all of the teams and just skipped over the Kings. I mean, they had the teams that were tied for ninth place and the Kings weren't one of those teams, even though they have the same exact record as the New Orleans Pelicans. They even listed the Suns and the Spurs. They just omitted the fact the Sacramento Kings. But this is like the fourth time it's happened. Even when they did their schedule release show, they didn't even put the Kings in the schedule release show. So why oh, do you is that, is that right? I didn't. Yeah, uh, they, they skipped right. Maybe I'm part the of the problem is that I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Yeah. They they flashed the Kings for a second. And then they went and showed the schedule for, uh, I think it was the, the Trailblazers. Uh, they just completely skipped the Kings schedule. You had to go online and go find it after the release show. So why do you think it is? I mean, because look, it's whoever comes out hot, whoever comes out and punches somebody in the face, that's who's going to steal away that eight seed. Um, and, you know, again, the, I'll go on record again as saying the Memphis Grizzlies, their schedule in the last 18 games, they had absolutely no chance of being the eight seed in the Western Conference. I mean, they might have won three or four games down the stretch. Um, yeah. Their schedule is still very difficult. I still don't think they'll represent the West uh, as the eight seed. I think it will come down to, you know, New Orleans. It will come down to uh, Portland, who has a very difficult schedule. It'll come down to possibly the Kings. I don't think the Spurs have much, much of a shot. Uh, but then, of course, the Kings have had all of these issues. So, what is why is it that you just think that nah, they don't have a shot um well i think they've first of all they're a small market team um they're not they're not this huge market but then again memphis isn't either and neither is new orleans and neither is san antonio but those teams have either superstars like zion um or they have you know playoff success in the last 10 years where you where you see memphis grizzlies or they've got ja morant who's a star um and they've um, they've, they've done really well in the playoffs over the last 10 years with Marcus All and Zebo and, and um, Grit and Grind. Now, the issue for the Kings is you have to kind of make your own destiny here, where if you were in the playoffs every year, you'd be talked about more. And the San Antonio Spurs get the benefit of the doubt because of Pop and because of Tim Duncan and all that. But that um, still does not justify being let, literally erased or left out of the conversation when there are only 22 teams who, sh who are in that bubble and it's not like there's a hundred teams and, Oh, we forgot one of them, you know? So yeah, I think there's that also the stars that the Kings do have Marvin Bagley and De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald, uh, Buddy Heald less so, but um, they've been in and out of the lineup dealing with injuries. And so that continuity of like, you know, coming out of the gate and grabbing headlines from the start you need that in the NBA to get people's attention. And when you have these start and stops with different players, it's hard to kind of have a national uh, brand. You know what I'm saying? Is yeah, having yeah, that no, brand of, of, you know, uh, you know, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, there's a brand there. Uh, Zion Williamson, even though he's out, uh, 
there's this certain brand with the Pelicans is like everyone needs to watch those games. But I think the Kings have an opportunity here, even with De'Aaron Fox's injury, because there's going to be some wonky things that happen in this bubble. Oh, yeah. And a team that has um, that has a a guy who's going to sprint up and down the floor like De'Aaron Fox, granted if he's healthy or not, that's going to be such a thing that you can't really account for in practice. Like if these guys are rusty, if these guys are out of shape, but you have a firecracker like De'Aaron Fox, that's, that's an equalizer. And people will be talking about the Kings if they, if they win a, a few games out of the stretch. Yeah, I think uh, it's all going to be determined there in the first couple of games. If they come out and they play, you know, they've got San Antonio to start. Um, they've had San Antonio's number just because of Fox and his speed and their ability to play at pace. LaMarcus Aldridge is not in the bubble. Uh, Trey Lyles went down. Um, you know, so I, I think that that first game, and then when you get to the Pelicans game, if you can't beat the Pelicans, you're not going to get in. Yep, that's um, so it. That's a championship game for them. Yeah, yeah, you've got to win those two games. And I think the team that goes five and three gets in. Um, I don't think most, I mean, if you look at their schedules, I don't think uh, many, I don't think any of those teams can go six and two um, and, and get into the, uh, to push their way in. I, I think that five and three gets you in, five and three gets you within three and a half games of the Grizzlies. Cause I don't think the Grizzlies can even go four and four. You know, when the season ended, the Kings were 13 and seven. They had the best record out of any of those teams over the final 20 games. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a team like Portland is the one that we kind of missed Portland did get healthy. They, they're going to get Zach Collins back. They're going to get uh, uh, Yusuf Nurkic back. So I think that, and they're also the team that was in the Western Conference Finals last year. So I think they're a team that has the experience. They have, you know, the name guys in, in CJ and, and in Dame um, to get there. Uh, and, and, but I also know that the NBA is tilted this thing a little bit towards the Pelicans. Um, it does feel that way. And I mean, we can say what we want to say, but you know, the Kings uh, lost the Pacers off their schedule and picked up the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, now, granted, that is the last game for the Lakers, so that might actually be – It might help them. The, it might help them. The, the JV Lakers in that case. Yeah, but then if, even if you look at where the Pelicans schedule, the Pelicans dropped uh, not a, a horribly difficult game, but dropped down to playing the Wizards or someone like that. I mean, yeah. their added game was, was like, oh, come on. Um, yeah. So – it's a they had an strange. easy schedule going forward anyway, but they're, yeah. they certainly didn't get the hammer that uh, a lot of teams were hoping they were. And, and look, if you're going to play the New Orleans Pelicans twice during this eight-seeding game like the Kings are, the Zion Williamson factor, um, not to be cold about a family emergency that he's dealing with, but um, they're vulnerable. The, the Pelicans are vulnerable right now. Um, if Zion Williamson isn't playing, that shifts things immensely for the teams like Portland, for the Sacramento Kings, because in my book, they're the odds on favor to get that last spot. Um, the, the Pelicans are stacked if they're healthy. Uh, and I think when you're looking at JJ Redick, who's been in, in the playoffs every year of his career, and he said at the pre preseason press conference with Zion, don't, don't screw this up for me. Um, yeah. You know, they've, they've got the pedigree to get in there. Um, but I think the Kings, um, they have to, if, if they want national recognition, if they want kind of that, um, that bias to be washed away, they got to make the playoffs. Yeah. They got to make the playoffs. And that, that isn't a panacea for a lot of small market teams. Um, you look at the Charlotte Hornets who seem to be making the playoffs every, you know, every other year or so, but still doesn't have a national uh, recognition. 
it, it takes a lot to, to stay in that conversation if you don't have a Luca, if you don't have a Zion. But De'Aaron Fox just has to stay healthy, and I think he can get in that conversation. Yeah. Well, it looks like Fox is going to be 100% or close to it by the time we actually get to games. I am worried, um, I mean, not just with Fox, but, I mean, again, you look at Zion, um, you look at a guy like Harrison Barnes, even if the Kings get Harrison Barnes back, there's, they have no idea what they're going to get back when, when he does show up, you know. I think that's one of the interesting things about COVID. The Kings have had, you know, four players has positive. Um, Buddy Heald came back and looked like the Energizer Bunny the first day of practice, and they just went right back in, you know. But uh, Jabari yeah. Parker came back, and he wasn't in good shape. Um, Alex Lynn came back, and he actually had had massive symptoms for, for a week. Um, and he was symptom-free for two weeks before that. So really it's treated the, – the virus hits everybody differently, and I think it's something that's going to be uh, – it's going to keep cropping up. We don't know how this thing is going to play out um, and how, how players will react and recover and everything else. Uh, one last thing I want to get to. Um, I asked Buddy Hill the question following their scrimmage on Wednesday. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I, I asked the question for a specific reason, because I know Buddy Yield is a player who, um, always, while he doesn't always say the right things in front of the media and he doesn't always handle things well with the media, he is a, a player that always has his teammates backs. And I asked him about Marvin Bagley and, you know, had he had a conversation about Marvin and, uh, with Marvin after, you know, he had another, another foot injury that's put him out for the rest of the season. And Buddy kind of snapped at the media a little bit, snapped at me, but the media in general, um, about just the way that uh, Marvin has been portrayed. Now, I'll tell you this, Tom, like the Sacramento media, uh, I mean, there's no value in us sitting here and rehashing the fact that the Kings drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic or Trey Young. Uh, there is no value in that. Eventually, there will be a postmortem on this entire thing. But as of right now, we're looking at a 21-year-old kid. What I do want to point out, and it's something that I actually am making some plans here about, um, there is this weird thing with certain players where they become targets on social media for bullies. And I think the one thing I'll point out to Buddy is that there's a huge difference between media and social media. And while the, the word is in there, it means something totally different. And I watch it in my timeline every day, but anytime I mention Marvin Bagley, it gets ugly. And he's not the only player in the league. There are players on almost every team that have this issue. But what do we do about that? What is your opinion on bullying in, in the NBA when it comes? I mean, it's hard because they, you know, someone he makes $9 million. Who cares? And it's like, but he's also a 21 year old kid who is having people call him names, you know, go at him, attack him uh, on, on Twitter and, and uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram just about every day. Yeah, this is the dark side of social media, right? The yeah. problem with being a kid prodigy is whether this is showbiz, or whether this is NBA uh, sports is – if you make it and you are a number one pick or if you're a stud coming into the NBA, you have to be prepared for the dark side of social media and the backlash. You talk to Greg Oden, you talk to Sam Bowie. This has been around for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. the difference is a lot of these players now have marketing deals where they have to be on social media. 
You know, they have to be uh, stars on Instagram. They have to make their presence felt um, on TikTok or Snapchat or Twitter. And so it's almost inevitable that they have to see that stuff. I did a story a couple of years ago about addiction in the NBA on social media and whether this is a good thing that, you know, athletes seem to be huge presences on social media and have this connection with fans. But what we don't see is what Marvin Bagley's talking about, which is just the, um, the trolls, the bullies, the bots, everything that we as journalists, we see a little bit of, but we're not, we're not Marvin Bagley. We're not Luka Doncic. We're not these, these millionaire superstars that everyone knows a global name like this. So my issue is mostly with the cesspool that social media usually is for a lot of these athletes, but it's also, it's built that way. Social media is built to get your attention. You know, when you write an amazing story, James, you could be getting uh, Pulitzers for that. But if someone says a negative thing about it, it's going to stick with you. And that's the problem with these athletes is there's always going to be someone to tear you down. LeBron James, Chris Paul, um, these guys who've been in the league. DeMarcus Cousins, I watched it. He would come in every game and go right to his phone and see what people were saying about him. At halftime, Stephen Curry would look at his Instagram mess, um, mentions at halftime of NBA games and had to shut it off. Yeah. Stephen Curry, who's got the, the highest approval rating in the NBA, still checks his mentions just to see what people are saying about him. And so there's this addictive quality to social media that I think any journalist feels, any athlete feels. And I don't know the solution because a lot of money is at stake for them to build their brands on social media. So whether it's Puma or whether it's Nike or whether it's, um, you know, different brands that they're associating themselves with part of the deal is that they have to be on social media. So it's something that um, Markel Fultz dealt with a lot with Philly and JJ Redick is someone who stood up for Markel Fultz and said to the media, like, get off his back, turn off the cameras. Like, He's a human being. He's a kid. Like this is a guy who's suffering physically, mentally suffering. And it feels like sometimes us as reporters, even though we're doing our jobs by asking these questions, we do kind of feel like vultures, right? We do feel like we're ambulance chasers sometimes where we have to ask those tough questions is like, Hey, what is the update on Marvin Bagley? Hey, what is, what is the status of De'Aaron Fox? And, and it might feel like we're overdoing it sometimes, but um, fans also want immediate information and players also check our Insta- Instagrams or, or Twitter accounts to see what people are saying about them. So it's just this vicious cycle that I don't know what the answer is, but um, bottom line, I'm re- always reminded of Don Draper in Mad Men when Elizabeth Moss is complaining that Don Draper, her boss is not giving her flowers essentially praising her work and he just screams at her don draper just says that's what the money's for and so part of me just says look if you're if you're making nine million dollars this is just this is just part of part of the deal just part of the deal uh, yeah I, I think it's interesting i think COVID has added another element to it where again like we start off every press conference with luke walton because luke walton can't tell us an update on harrison barnes or why he isn't there, we have to specifically say to Luke, hey, is Harrison there yet? And it seems silly, but if we don't say it and he's on a plane, 
then we didn't do our job. And, and so it's, we're kind of caught in the middle here of this whole thing. And has, there, again, has there been, has there, James, has there been a tactic that has worked like, hey, who's not there? Can you, can you like say, can you, is yeah. there a way that you've been like no. tricking them into, yeah, saying no. it? Nothing? They're not biting. They, they're all, uh, it, it's a conversation they're having with PR and media relations before they step in front of the, the camera every single day. They're being reminded of what they're not going to say. I mean, we waited, what, like almost 72 hours for an MRI on, uh, on Marvin Bagley. I'm going to say this, Tom. I'm going to make my own statement here to people that follow me on Twitter. I'm done with it. I'm over it. And I think it's horrible. Um, I've got a 17-year-old kid upstairs. And if people were attacking him left and right, I would be pissed about it. Um, so if you want to follow me and have my coverage, then I'm done. Don't put it in my timeline. If I see that stuff in my timeline, I'm just going to block you. And I'm not even going to mute you because then it's still out there and Marvin can still see that stuff. But that's, I'm just kind of done and over it. And, uh, and it will go with anybody. Like I, I think normalizing bullying is like one of the, the things that we're going through right now in our country. And I'm just not going to have it. And, you know, you can go follow some other people that cover the Kings, but I'm the one who shows up to every single shoot around that's been in 99% of practices for the last 10 years, who's missed two total games in his entire career. One, I was at the Sloan Analytics Conference with you. <laughs> Priorities. Uh, and one, I was at the Board of Governors meeting when they were deciding the fate of the Sacramento Kings. Those are the only two games I've ever missed. So if you want my coverage, then stop with the, the nonsense when it comes to Marvin. Now, we can have a discussion about Marvin Bagley, about his potential or about his game or, or that stuff, but the personal attacks, I'm just over it. So I'll tell you that, Tom, that I'm putting my foot down from here on out and I just think that at some point we have to have some civility when it comes to these things. And I don't care how much money he makes still doesn't feel good. You know, nope. kids and walking booting on crutches and all he's hearing is about, you know, how he can't stay healthy and how he's, you know, he's not Luka Doncic and look, Tom, neither one of us are Luka Doncic. <laughs> no, no, I wish I was, man. He is charismatic as hell. He is. <laughs> Man, he's that's he's a whole nother that's all another podcast, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I want to say this too is that um, you feel like the more success you have, the thicker the skin you're gonna get. But it's not true. And the sad part is, is that um, I was I, I even saw this from uh, Christy Teigen, who's got like a bazillion followers on social media. She's like, I can't deal with it anymore. I mean, yeah. the idea that like the more ri the richer that you get, the the thicker skin you it's not true. Um, and I hate what that does is it almost validates these these bullies is that like I I feel like the more that we um, acknowledge their existence, the satisfaction they get. And so I don't know what the right move is. Um, I think I'm more of a muter than a blocker. I think I'm a muter because it feels more satisfying when people are just screaming into the abyss, thinking that they're saying something and getting to me, but really it's just not happening. So that was, that's been my tactic is, is the mute button, but there, there are apps where you can just only have conversations with people that you follow. And I, I find that, um, I find that kind of therapeutic is just to try to block out the noise but then I also like mixing up with people and opening my door and saying yeah let's let's talk about um the NBA so it's tough it's, it's a fine balance 
And I feel bad for Mar- Marvin Bagley. No one needs to be dealing with that, especially, you know, you built up through this whole COVID situation, you're ramping up and you want to prove the doubters wrong. And it's just steps on someone's foot, comes down, grabbing a rebound, which we've all done. And he's done. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's the good thing is that there's always next year for Marvin and uh, I hope he gets back healthy and he's, he's a really, really good young player. So I'm, I'm rooting for him to get back to healthy because he is really fun to watch. That's right. All right. So um, Tom, do you have any final thoughts? I think, I think we're, we're done here. Uh, final thoughts. Um, uh, I, I kind part of me wants to see James Ham have to go play uh, in this bubble. So part of me is hoping that these, these injuries don't, uh, happen because I want players to stay healthy and, and play to their best of their abilities, but they're going to need some bodies essentially. Um, if they keep getting sick or they keep getting hurt, we might have to see James Ham on the floor. I'll take that 10 day contract. Uh, I'm going to finish <laughs> with this people. Uh, wear your masks. Just, just wear your mask. It, it doesn't, I, I don't want to hear it. Just put your mask on. Uh, Greg Popovich wearing a mask at the sidelines, uh, James. Um, he's going to coach with a mask on this year and I, in the bubble. And I wonder if that's going to be kind of um, a domino effect. If, if Pop is going to do it, I think it's going to be harder for other coaches to say, why, why, why should I wear one? So that's interesting is to see Greg Popovich will be wearing a mask during coaching. Yep. All right. Well, hey, thank you, Tom, for joining us. It's good seeing you. Uh, we don't get to see each other nearly enough, but uh, – That's going to do it for this edition of Purple Talk on NBC Sports California. Uh, So we'll be back next week. We'll have Doug Christie in tow. Uh, He'll get to describe what it's like to call a game with Gary Gerald. Um, And that should be fun. And, you know, we've got basketball. So uh, for for Tom Haverstrow, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in to the Purple Talk podcast.